Well, good morning, everybody. Man, y'all look good. You sound good today. You know, one of my favorite things is when they stop singing and you guys keep singing. Did you make some noise for the block students? All of our friends are in here today. Thanks for taking time off to hear the old guy today. Hey, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you and you're a guest with us on behalf of our staff, our team, I just want to say welcome home. And a lot of churches you go to, it doesn't feel like home. I pray that when you walked on this campus and when you were meeting people and as you were getting seated and even through the worship, I pray that it feels like home. There's nothing weird about going to church. It's where we belong. I say it all the time. You're in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. And I don't know where you've been all week, but I'm going to tell you this right now, you're in the right place. God's going to speak to you today. If I get it, my name's Josh. If I haven't met you, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I'd love to shake your hand and hear about how you came to find IFC today. Today, I'm going to jump right into my message. I'm not going to waste any time. So if you want to get your iPad out, your notebook, your Bibles, smartphones, I'm going to give you some notes today. For those that don't have it, we're going to put it on the screen. But today, we're starting a brand new series. And this series will go for five weeks. And we're going to be talking about generosity. And the title of the series is Generosity Speaks. Uh, we, we say that uh, uh, as, a, as a statement all the time here. If you've if you're been around for a moment, you've heard that phrase. And the truth is, it's because it's one of our core values. It's what we believe. We believe that our time, our talent, and our treasure has been given to us so that we can be blessed. But the purpose of that is so we can bless other people. I want to talk about this for the next few weeks. Acts chapter 20 says it very clearly. Paul's talking and he says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's better to get than to give. It's better to receive blessing than have to give my stuff away. Is that what it says? I'm just messing with you. Jesus said it's more blessed to, re- to give than to receive. You know, the world has their way of doing things, and it is the opposite. Man, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's what the world will tell you. Get as much as you can, step on whoever you got to to get it, can it, hold on to it, and sit on it, make sure nobody takes your stuff. But yet the church of Jesus Christ has been given a different instruction because we understand we're blessed. God has blessed us to be a blessing everywhere we go. I want to say this to you as your pastor. You, no matter how little or how much, you've been blessed. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and you've surrendered your heart to him, your life is blessed. And I want to say this to you, that your resources that God has blessed you with, they have a purpose. Everything God does is intentional. And so what does he do? He pours out his blessing on his people so that they can take their time, talent, and treasure and make sure that the world outside that's falling apart and crumbling to pieces, that our generosity would speak of his goodness and his grace in our life. We truly believe at this church, and again, if you're new, I don't expect you to believe it right now, but the longer you're here, I pray this rubs off on you. We believe that generosity does speak to those that encounter it. In the culture and time we live, 
Our generosity, we believe, opens the door or opens the heart for the gospel to be communicated. Yesterday, me and my family, we went to Cracker Barrel, which we love biscuits, so we like Cracker Barrel. We're Southerners. I'm from South Alabama. My wife is from South Texas, and, and it feels like home when we go to Cracker Barrel. I don't know why it just does. They got, they got all kind of food, like soul food, you know. It's just like real food, you know. You know, real food, like when you eat it, you're like, I need a nap now. Like that, that's a real meal. I don't understand all this plant-based stuff, man. You're like, I'm still hungry. I'll take another spinach burger or three. Like, I don't understand that. Where we grew up, man, we eat. Like. And so we went there to hang out with our kids as we do a lot of Saturdays. We go there and we eat as, as a family. And right before we got there, we were told that there was a gentleman across the table from us. And he stood up and he was yelling at the waitress, I'm not going to pay for this food if it takes this long. And then he began to yell at the waitress. He said, by the way, I'm not giving you a tip either. pretty awkward and pretty arrogant. At the end of the meal, I grabbed our waitress and I said, I, I want you to give this. And I gave her some cash. And I said, I don't know who his waitress is, but I want her to know that God loves her and I want you to bless her on, on our behalf. And, and she stopped. She said, what? Why are you doing that? I said, because he's an idiot and I want you to know. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wanted to. I just said, I, I want her to know that her job's important and that she matters. She said, it's the nicest thing anybody's ever done. She's like, I, I can't even believe you. She didn't even wait on you. I said, it doesn't matter. I believe that generosity speaks. I want her to know that God loves her. You don't need to clap for me. I, I'll be honest with you, we shouldn't have to clap for stuff like that. That should be normal living for Christian believers. Generosity should be the norm in our life. We say generosity speaks, but I'm wondering what generosity could say if it spoke to the local church today. What would generosity say to us? I think the conversation with generosity would start like this. and the, It would start with the question by saying, what if? What if, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk openly about our money. Everybody say money. Our resources. And we're going to talk about God's plan for these resources and how it impacts mankind. Because I want you to know there's still a harvest that's waiting. There's still people that need to know Jesus. I truly believe that generosity is what opens the door. Now, before you write me off, and say, oh, I knew it, one of those prosperity preachers. Or here we go again with one of those money-hungry pastors. I want to say it to you this way. This is not prosperity preaching. Biblical generosity is priority teaching. Just because some have abused it doesn't mean it's not God's plan. And I see a lot of people, they're jaded when we talk about money because so-and-so bought a jet or a Rolls Royce or whatever. You know what? They're going to stand before God and I don't care what they do with it. I'm not responsible for what God does in their life. I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to be responsible for what he gave me and what me and my house did with our stuff. The church needs to grow up a little bit. 
There will be people that abuse things. It's called life. But we shouldn't discount the biblical principles of what God wants us to know and actually how he wants to work in and through us. Can we pray? Father, I thank you that your people hear your word, not my words. That the word that they hear today would be an anchor for their soul. That it would tether them to their foundation, which is your word. And it would tell their mind and their emotions to shut up. Lord, we declare we're word first people. So today we're going to look in your word and we're going to apply your principles, not man's ideas. Concerning what biblical, biblical prosperity looks like, what biblical generosity looks like, and what the true blessing of the Lord is for the local church. Lord, let them get a glimpse of your heart. And I pray that we adopt and change our hearts to sound and work like yours. Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if generosity could speak to us. What would it say? We say that our generosity speaks to those around us. I wonder if generosity was to speak to the church today. What would it say? And I believe it would say this. It would start with the question, what if? Everybody say, what if? if? And the statement of the conversation would say, what if we restored order in our personal lives and our personal finances? Of all the places generosity would want to start or have a conversation with us as the church of Jesus Christ, I believe it would start with a question like, what if you had your junk in order? church. What if we had our lives in order? Truth is, by, by nature, I'm not the most orderly person. Don't laugh at me. You're not either. By nature, none of us are orderly because we were born after the fall of man. Before the fall of man, when Adam and Eve were the only people in the garden, things were set in order. There was a pattern. There was a place and a time. And they were told, you can eat of all this stuff. You can come here, go there, do that. Just don't touch this one of things or your life is going to get out of order. My life has been a constant battle of getting things in order. I'm, I'm the ready, fire, aim guy. I get an idea. Let's do it right now. Let's go. We should have done it yesterday. And the staff that I've placed around me are much smarter than me. And they say, Pastor, wouldn't it be good to get a plan first before we pull the trigger? There's an upside and a downside to being a visionary. And the upside is, man, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to do some things together. The downside is we got to get order in how God wants us to do them. I've had to work very hard at order in my life, especially now with three kids. You find out how much order you have in your life the more kids you have. It either gets harder or it gets easier. You got one kid, oh, that's no brainer. Two kids, hey, you did it for the first one, the second one will fall right in line. Three kids, man, you, you're going to need some rope. You're going to need some rope and some timers. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's been difficult for me to order my day. My day starts about 5.30 in the morning. I get up. I make my bed, I go downstairs, I turn, turn the coffee pot on, I make my coffee, and then I sit on the couch and I do my devotions, I do my confessions, and I spend time with the Lord. 
And then after that, I start making scrambled eggs, and Emmy likes cinnamon toast, so I make her toast, and the boys like, they like uh, English muffins with sausage, egg, and cheese. Hunter doesn't like the cheese, and he will tell you if there's cheese on it. This is out of order. I did not order this. I'm like, it's too early for you to be yelling at me, eat the sandwich, you're going to be hungry. And after I fix the breakfast, then I go upstairs and I jump in the shower and I do my hair, I brush my teeth, I shave sometimes and I get my clothes ready and then I come back downstairs and Stephanie's finishing up the morning devotions with the kids and to that point, I check the lunch boxes and make sure they're in the backpacks and make sure Hunter's hair's combed over. I load him up in the car and I drive to another family's house that are our friends and I, I'm carpooled dad two days a week. And I drive the kids to school along the same route every day because I know the fastest way to get there. And then I get there, I drop them off, and I come backwards. I listen to a podcast on the way to the office, and I land at the office somewhere usually between 8.15 and 8.30, where I go in and I meet with Amy, my assistant, and she helps me order my day, and she has my schedule planned out. And she says, these are the appointments you have today. Here's what you have tomorrow. This is Wednesday. This is Friday. Don't forget on Saturday you're doing this. Any questions? And she is a miracle worker. She's helping me get my life in order. And then I go upstairs and we pray with the staff and we have a staff meeting and we have a huddle and we do things in order. I don't like it. <laughs> I like sleeping in. I like getting up when I want. Fix your own stinking breakfast. Drive yourself to school. The selfish part of me says, why do I have to be the one that orders everything for the family? And I believe that God puts us as parents because he can trust us. But here's the thing I can tell you. When things get out of order, it causes lots of stress and confusion in our home. Not only for my kids, but for my wife, then for my staff, and then for you. It ultimately affects my ability to communicate at the level that I feel called to on Sundays. Order is required to lead at the level I'm called to lead in the season. And I want to tell you this, that in whatever season you're in, wherever you find yourself in life, there is order that is required to achieve what God has destined for you. You don't get to choose your time. Your time is a gift. You don't get to spend your resources where you want. You've been stewarded those. Your talents and your abilities have a purpose behind them. Let me ask you, is your life in order? Truth is, is order is a word of quality, not quantity. Order is about how you do things, not about how many things you do. Society loves to brag and we love to showcase our lives on social media and through text messages that we're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy. And then at the end of the year, we're frustrated that we didn't make the money we made, wanted to make or we didn't have the impact we had, the ability to make simply because things were out of order. Everybody say order. Order is about quality of life, not quantity of life. And what I've learned over the last few decades is pastoring people, young and old, is that the God that we've chosen to serve and the God that called us out of darkness and into light, he does things in order on purpose. From the very beginning of time, you can open the first page of the book. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that God is an orderly God. 
And if he's orderly, I can guarantee you he's calling us to set things in order for our life. On the first day of creation, God created what? Oh, you guys didn't go to Sunday school? He created light. You got to have light to work. Without light, you can't build anything. On the first day, he created light. The second day, he created the skies. On the third day, dry land and the seas and the plants and the trees. It's like a nursery rhyme. On the fourth day, in order, he created the sun and the moon and the gazillion billion stars in the sky. On the fifth day, he created creatures that live in the sea and then the creatures that were created to fly in that sky, he created on day two. On the sixth day, the animals that live on the land and finally, you and I, mankind, was created in order on day six and on day seven, he took a nap and said, dude, this is the ball. This is the bomb. This is it. This is the stuff. Look, it's good. It's very good. I don't know about you, but I've created things, and when I got done creating them, I, that don't look very good. <laughs> like the simple task of making cupcakes or brownies for your kids. You've done it so many times that you don't read the box, and then the kids are eating it like, these are horrible. <laughs> Dad, what in the world? And you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I made the brownies just like I do all the time. Well, did you put the eggs in? Oh, wait, eggs go in it? What about the oil? Uh, we're out of oil. And everything that we do and everything that we're called to do and everything that God has done is done in order. If I say order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Paul declares to the church at Corinth, and I say this to you as your pastor, let all things be done decently and in a few verses earlier, he says, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. You know what the opposite of peace is? Disorder. It brings confusion. So why is order so important? I could spend a five-week series on why order is important. But the, for the fact of what I'm talking about over the next few weeks, concerning our generosity, here's the one point that I want you to understand, and that is that order brings peace. It brings peace. It's the thing that separates us from everybody else chasing the dollar. I'm not trusting in my dollar. I'm trusting in the God who provided the dollar. I'm not trusting in my job and maybe I'm going to get laid off. I'm trusting in the God that gave me that job who positioned me on purpose for this moment. I, I have peace. They have fear. Did you know that the number one leading cause for stress in Americans, and you're American now, you live here, it's money issues. The number one cause of stress in our life and confusion and a lack of peace is financially related. And it makes sense. I mean, without financial security, there's a lot to worry about every day. But when it comes to financial stress and worry, listen to me, the key to freedom in this area is getting things in order according to God's word and his command. I got married 11 years ago to... A girl who was nothing like me, thank God, we came from two different worlds. The way we were raised was two drastically different parenting structures. 
I'm grateful for how I was raised. She's grateful for how she's raised. But when we got married, we had to make a decision on how we're going to live together and how we're going to raise our family. We needed to come into order concerning our finances. My family is a free spending family. I grew up in elaborate vacations because we had the power of the credit card. (laughs) Disneyland it is. Let's go. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Everybody's getting Disney shirts. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Everybody needs the money, the bunny ears. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Ice cream for everybody. Swipe, swipe, swipe. I thought we were rich. I thought we were loaded growing up. My parents drove nice cars. We had nice things. And really, when I found out later at 18, we're not rich. We're just in debt. Her family was the opposite. They didn't go out to eat. They didn't spend money. They didn't swipe credit cards to take vacations. They didn't buy new clothes. They didn't buy new cars. They saved and invested for the future. So when we got married, there was a huge problem. I want to spin, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe. And she kept taking the money and hiding it. She's like, we don't have any money. For I got paid on Friday. She's like, yeah, I took that money. It's hidden now. We were saving that money for something down the road. We're going to have kids one day. Kids. We're not having kids for a long time. Swipe, 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 spin, spin, spin. And immediately we knew there was going to be tension in our marriage. And there was from day one. But I'll tell you this, I may be born in South Alabama, but I ain't stupid. There's always somebody out there that knows how to help you if you're humble and willing to learn and willing to grow. Humility is the key to finding a middle ground with your spouse. Even if you're single, you should get this right now because the way you live as a single person ain't going to be like how you live when you get married. (laughs) Ask me how I know. So we did what we knew to do. We went to our church, and they had a class called Financial Peace University. It was Dave Ramsey's class. We've used it here for decades on how to find financial freedom, get out of debt, and invest for the future. And we went to the class simply because we wanted to get on the same page on what we were going to do with God's resources. And I got to be honest with you, man, after class two or three, I, I was giving her high fives because we were hearing the stories of the crazy people around us. I'm like, man, they're nuts. They ain't got a clue. We do it all right. You know, you think you're in a horrible spot until you get around other people. And then you, oh man, we ain't got it that bad. Some of those people were in the class because they were on the edge of divorce. We were in the class because we never wanted to talk about Divorce. And one of the things that I found out about financial freedom was that it starts with getting your resources in order. Dave Ramsey says it this way, the tithe, everybody say tithe, is the first in the order of getting financially free and sustaining financial freedom. For me in my life, I was, we've always tithed, me and my wife. What I needed to work on was the spending and the saving and working within a budget. But for many people, God-loving, God-fearing, sanctified, holy people, this is the one thing that is causing so much hiccup in their life because they've gotten things out of order. Today, I want to talk about four misconceptions of the tithe, and I'll tell you why they're a misconception at the end. My hope is that through sharing the scriptures today, not my opinion and not because I need your money but because this is a biblical principle on opening the blessing of heaven on your life, 
I want to dispel these for you because there's a lot of chatter about what the tithe is, what it isn't, who gets it, where does it go, how much, blah, blah, blah. Today, let's just bring it back down and we can all leave on the same page and you can take the scriptures for yourself and study it out and ask the Lord, what would you have me to do? Not what my pastor asked me to do. Here's the first misconception is that the tithe is a certain percentage that you get to choose. The tithe is 10%, everybody say 10% of your income. Now, I don't know how often you get paid or how you get paid on commission, but I'll say this to you. Every time you get paid, you honor the God by giving him 10% of your income. It's not 2% because that's all you got this month. And it's not 20% because you're catching up from last month. Your tithe is 10% of your income. In fact, you can look it up for yourself. Don't take my word. Again, go home and do your own homework. The word in Hebrew, the word tithe, it means a tenth. So for every $10 that the Lord blesses me with through my hard work and my due diligence, he's asking for a dollar back. And as I give him the dollar, he blesses the other nine. Deuteronomy 14 says it this way. Be sure to set aside, here it is, a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Steph and I, we don't even touch the first 10%. I was talking with a lady after service and she was asking me about how me and Steph do it. We do an auto debit on our, on our, on our, um, on our giving. I know how much I make every two weeks. She knows how much she makes every two weeks. And so we went to intlfamilychurch.com, clicked the giving tab, and guess what I do? I set up recurring giving, 10%, because I know what I'm getting paid, so that it goes out before anything else goes out. My mortgage is the same, but guess what? I delay it till the next day, so God gets it first. He gets 10%. Everybody say 10%. Number two, the misconception is of what, what, what is the tithe? Not only is it 10%, it's not just 10%, it's the first 10%. Everybody say first. It's the first 10%. I don't pay all my bills and then go fill up our cars with gas and then fill up my oil tank for the winter and then buy groceries and diapers and formula for the babies and then whatever's left, if I have it, I give him 10%. No, 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 no. I give God 10% because I realize he gave it to me. It's his already. I'm just returning it back to him. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the last fruits that you have left over. After you fed your babies, I'm going to tell you this. This is a tough one. This is a tough one right now because this is a condition of the heart. Oh, I, I want to press on you, but, but I'm going to do it anyways. You can find out what you're passionate about by simply looking at your checking statement. What goes out first is the most important thing to us. God's called us not only to bring 10%, but it's the first 10%. Number three, listen to this. The tithe is given through the local church where you're ministered to, not a TV ministry or a charitable organization. I believe in sowing seed to charitable organizations. Steph and I partner with many organizations, missionaries around the world, and projects that come up through the year. But I want to say this to you. That's not my tithe. My tithe belongs to the storehouse where Steph and I get fed, where we contribute, where we're growing together with our church family. That's International Family Church for us. I can't say, and you can't say, hey, I gave 10%, but I get to choose where it goes. I, I like this TV preacher, or I want to give to these people because they're feeding the poor. You you don't get to choose where the tithe goes. 
Thank you for that one. That's right. It's quiet in here, man. Stepping on some toes. You got to help me? This is, this, is, this is God speaking, not Pastor Josh. And by the way, I want you to know this. Every penny that comes into this house of your tithe, I twice sow it for you. We, we sow 10% off of every penny that comes to IFC. Guess what? Back out the door. So actually, when you tithe here, I, I say it this way, and you get the double blessing because you're opening the windows of heaven on, on your half, and then I take collectively, and we sow it. Last year, we gave over $615,000 away of your money of faithful tithes and offerings. Man, you should get excited about that. The tithe belongs to the local church. Here's the fourth one. The tithe is a principle. It's not a choice. It's a principle of stewardship. It's a return of what God's given you. Write this down. We are owners of nothing and we are stewards of everything. We are owners of nothing. Nothing that you have in your life, you got on your own. God gave it to you, whether you want to admit it or not. Everything that we have, our health, our wealth, our families, it was all part of God's bigger picture. And guess what? It's on loan to us for this 85 years for the average human to resource the gospel. This last week, I, I borrowed a wood splitter because I, I, we have a fireplace and I love burning wood all winter long. Not because it heats my house. I just like the fireplace going. And my friend Walter Mitchell, he was here in the first service. He said, I got a wood splitter if you need it. <coughs> and he brought the wood splitter over last Sunday <coughs> and dropped it off. And we began to talk. He showed me how to work it. And guess what? All week I've been doing manly stuff. <laughs> like my testosterone level right now is through the roof. I've been swinging axes, splitting wood, stacking wood, things that real men do with their hands. Like I was like, let's go. I was like, you know, I feel like Paul Bunyan, like kicking the door, like, baby, let's get, where you at? Let's go. You know, just being, doing something with your hands. I'm just being funny. But, you, but here's the thing. Uh, this week, I, I'm going to give Walter uh, his wood splitter back. But it's not a gift. I'm not being generous to Walter. I'm returning it to Walter. He gave me the wood splitter last Sunday. I split the wood Monday through Friday. And this week, guess what? It's not generous of me to say, hey, 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 I'm going to bring your wood splitter back. Would that make you happy? Would you like it? It's my gift to you. <laughs> Dummy, that's my wood splitter. I brought it over last week. <laughs> I wonder if this is what generosity is saying. You're not really being generous if things are out of order. We've been taking this idea of generosity that we're spreading wealth all over the place and helping people and doing it. And we should. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do. If the church isn't going to fund humanitarian work, who is? But let me just say it to you this way. It's not generosity if it was already given to you and you have to return it first. It's a principle of stewardship. I'll read it to you out of Malachi 3.10 out of the NIV. It says, bring the whole tithe... 10% into the storehouse, the local church, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it or even store it up. I'll go one step further. I'll prevent the pest from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields. They will not drop before it's ripe time. This is what the Lord God says. He says, and then everywhere you go, they're going to say, how'd you get so blessed? This is a partnership between God 
and the local church. This is a partnership between God and humanity. If you'll bring me the 10% back that I gave you, I'll bless the other 90%. And in fact, I'll multiply it just like I did the five loaves and two fishes. There will be basketfuls overboard. You will have to give take-home baskets for your friends and family because they're going to say, where is all this coming from? Where are you getting all this? How is this happening? And for us as the church, when everybody's scratching and clawing to make a nickel, earn a dime, hustle and grind, we're going to say, hey, it ain't me, Jack. It's the Lord. I just partnered with the King of Kings, Jehovah Jireh. It's him that supplies all my needs. Now generosity speaks. Because when you have more than you can handle and you have to give it away, people want to know, why, why, you, want, why, you, want to, why you give me that? What you want? What you need? Everybody thinks it's a hook. They think it's a gimmick. But when it's easy to say, I, I don't need anything. I just see that y'all are in need. I just want to be a blessing to you. Right. Well, what for? Well, because somebody was generous to me. Yeah, Who? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. His name is Jehovah Jireh. He loved me enough that he actually gave his son to die on a cross for me. And guess what? I live sin-free now. My sins have been paid for. I have grace on my life that I never earned. He gave me this family. He gave me this job. He gave me these hands. He gave me this mind. He gave me time, talent. And because of that resource is showing up, that's why we're generous. It opens the door for the gospel. So here's what tithing does. It's your way to test God. So many religious people think that God's testing them all the time. Going through another test, Pastor. No, you're not. No, you're not. He's not. God doesn't test us. He's faithful. That test that you say He's putting on you, you should be asking yourself, do I trust Him? It's not a test. It's do you trust. The tithing is accessing the blessing. For some of us at the end of the month, there's not enough left. I'm going to challenge you in this season. Put God to the test with the first 10%. And you watch that 90% turns into more than 90% every single time. Not because it's a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not talking about Rolls Royces and Gucci purses. I don't know what he's going to bless you with. Maybe he's going to give you another business idea to expand that. And he's going to give you more money. You can go buy the Gucci you want. But I'll tell you this. God is a man of his word. He's a God of order. The Bible's clear. The tithe is the way that we bring our finances into order. A great mentor in my life and a spiritual father said this to me many years ago, and you've heard it. When order is restored, blessings are released. A recent study shows that only 3% of Christians actually tithe. 3%. There'll be 1,000 people in this building and over 1,000 people this weekend. You do the math. We wonder why things are blocked or why we have confusion or frustration in our life. As your pastor, I'm not asking you to do something I'm telling you to do. I'm asking you to go to the boss, the generator, the giver of your wealth and say, Lord, I want to honor you and I want to get order restored. Now, some of you will say this to me in an email later or a DM because you want it private. You just say, I don't tithe and I'm 
I'm rich. I'm blessed. And I'm going to say, look at what you've done in your own power. But what if you were to partner God with the tithe? If that's what you did in your own power, holy smokes, what could God do when you partner with Him? I'll tell you what He'll do. He'll give you Ephesians 3.20. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could hope, dream, think, or imagine. I have a personal friend, he's a, a personal friend, he's a tither and he's a multi-gazillionaire. I don't know how many zeros are behind his, 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 his wealth. But at 40 years old, he was talking to some friends of ours, and he said, I've hit every, everything I wanted to hit in life. I built a company that's been hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in profit every year. My company went public on the New York Stock Exchange just a few years ago, and he's just, pff, I'm... I'm bored. We've got the boats. We've got the cars. We have the lake house. We've got the beach house. We've got the private plane. Now what? And the Lord said, teach others how you got where you are. Help other business owners who are thriving get it in order so they can multiply. Some of us are just believing for addition. We just need a little bit more. And I want to tell you this. You don't serve a God of addition. You serve a God of multiplication. And when we honor him, he's going to give you ideas and business ventures and opportunities that will blow your mind. I've never done that before. He's going to say, no, but I have. And together we're going to fund the gospel around the world. If only 3% of Christians tithe, that means that 97% of Christians have things out of order. Today as we close, I want to ask you a few questions for your, for your own personal reflection as you go home today and this week. Is your house in order? Is God first in your finances and your resources? And are there adjustments that need to be made? You take that up with him this week. But I want to invite you to make a commitment to the Lord this week. Put him to the test. I know there's a single mom saying, I, I, I don't think I can do it, Pastor. And I'm going to tell you, you don't have a choice. Every month you're going under and he wants to put you over. I know there's widows in the room that say, I, 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 don't, I don't even know if it's possible. I've done the budget. I'm going to tell you this. It's not going to fit in your budget. It's not humanly possible. It's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. It's a step of trust. And I'm going to say this to you just so you can hear me. I'm not diminishing the fear that comes in seasons like this. When we push aside our fear and we trust him, he opens the heavens. He reaches down and he gets in a situation and moves things around that we could never even think possible because he's the God of the impossible. As I close, lastly, I, I, want, I want to say this because I don't want you to think this is a bait and switch. We're going to do this series for five weeks, but then on December 3rd, we're going, to, we're going to take up a special offering. We do this every year. And this year, I'm going to call it the what if offering. What if you and I got things in order, and then out of that overflow, we sowed significant seed to make sure that the gospel goes forward for your kids and my kids and the lost right here at IFC? What if we gathered together and we gave our best on December 3rd 
what could God do for the lost? Every empty seat represents a lost person that God wants in this house. I love that the students are in here because the projects that I'm going to present you in a few weeks have to do not with us old folks, but about the generations coming behind us to make sure that they get to enjoy a facility and a campus that speaks to their language, that speaks to their generation, even after we're long gone. But before I ask you to sow, I want to ask you to get things in order with him. Because so many times in these moments, we feel compelled by a project and we want to sow a significant seed and we give our best, but actually it's not our best because it's not a seed at all. It's the tithe that we've been robbing from God. And we're calling it a seed. I didn't read you Malachi 3, 8 and 9 because it's pretty intense. But you should read it for yourself. I started with the 10% and he's going to open the blessing. But if I could give you a little preview, it starts with, hey, you're robbing me, church. What? How have we robbed you? In the tithe and the offering. And he says, return the tithe and then the blessing. I'm going to challenge you this week. If you're a married couple, sit down and take some time. This is a conversation you need to be in agreement about. If you're a single person, I'm going to just implore you, man, set this rhythm in your life right now before you get married and have to marry a credit card swiper like me. Get things in order so that the blessings can be released. I, I have so much in my heart. We've been having vision nights the last couple months. We have another one coming up in a few weeks, and I'm gonna share some more vision about what God's been speaking to us, not only about this facility and what we're gonna do, our programming, what we're gonna do, and, and the 2024 call that he has on us. It's all about harvest. It's all about the future. But here's what we gotta do. As a church, we've gotta unify. We're going to honor God first. And then out of the overflow of blessing, man, we're going to sow seed and we're going to see our loved ones saved. We're going to see our neighbors reached. And we're going to see our community changed because our generosity is going to speak of the goodness of God. You bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I know this is a challenging message and I don't like preaching messages like this because they've been twisted and turned and people have manipulated people. I pray you hear my heart today, and what more than that, I pray that you hear God's heart through me. It's his principle not only for your personal finances, but for the businesses he's called you to lead. I don't want this 3% statistic to be who we are in this house. I'm believing for 100% participation that we all recognize this is God's call in our life, and we have a part to play in it, even if it's a little bit. But as I speak of order today, I, I want to challenge you that maybe you're here today and your life is out of order. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do where you put your trust. An ordered life starts with trust in Jesus Christ, our salvation. The Bible says that God was so generous that he gave his son to die on a cross, to die a shameful death in your place and in my place. His blood was poured out to cover sins that me and you could never pay the price for. And we've accepted that. I've accepted that. I want to extend that to you. Maybe you're here today and say, my life's out of order. Make Jesus first. And everything else will pan out. Make Jesus first. And watch the blessings come unleashed in your life.
favor, hope, healing, restoration of relationships, peace of mind, boldness and clarity. If you're here in this room and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus, would you please pray with me? I promise you this, I'm not gonna call you forward, but I do wanna know who I'm praying for. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Put your hand up, I see you right here. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. I see you guys. I see you in the back over here. I'm looking to the right side. Anybody say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus today. I got to get my life in order. Things are out of whack. Yes, I see you. I see you. Right here, buddy. I got you. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else want to join these brave people? Once you put your hand down, you can, once you put it up, you can put it back down. Anybody else? Just wave it at me. The lights are bright. I see, I see all the way in the back over there. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need that. I, I see you right over here. Last call. So many hands going up. Look up at me. This is my greatest joy today. Look up at me. When hands go up and people surrender their life to Jesus, it means they're getting order restored. Let's celebrate with them as we pray this together. If you raised your hand or you should have, just say this out of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for being generous to me. For sending Jesus to die on a cross to pay for my sins. Lord, today, I need it. I receive it. And I repent. I turn from my evil ways. And I ask you to take charge of my life. I surrender it to you. I declare in front of my friends, in front of my family, Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I love y'all.